Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He's above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With the mighty hand and outstretched arms, Speak the name, speak the name. 
would you just begin to tell him how he has shown his goodness in your life even to yourself just out loud to yourself just begin to say god you have been good so good to me in this way in that way when you did this lord when you rescued me here when you did this for me when when you showed yourself here just begin to talk to him tell him about his goodness tell him about his goodness to you this morning lord you are so good so many ways that we can recount your goodness where we can we can point to a date in a calendar and say god you showed yourself so good to me here in this moment in that moment and lord you're just good all the time lord there's not a just a a moment that you're good you are continually good in every way and lord we recognize you today we honor your great name we praise you and we give you thanks today thank you lord that we have voices that we can use to sing how good you are lord i thank you for this moment that we have and we just pray your anointing your power over it in jesus mighty name amen amen it is so good to see you today and you're just, what a good-looking crowd, I'm telling you. I don't know if it's the lighting or lack of lighting, I don't know. But you guys are, are great-looking today. And uh, we, we just want to give you an opportunity to greet each other. Here is a, a hack for later on in the service. This is the perfect time, if you have a communion cup near you somewhere, to get yours, to make sure you have that for later. So just to let you know, we are receiving communion later, so grab a cup. But let's take a few moments here and greet each other today. God bless you. Well, again, good morning as you find your seat. If you are a guest here today with us, we would greatly appreciate it if you would complete this Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. And at the conclusion of our worship service today, you can head out to the lobby and you can hand this card to someone at our guest services uh, table there and they will actually have a gift for you. So if you could do that as a guest, that would be a tremendous help to us. Ushers, if you would come, we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, it's interesting because the three festivals that the Israelites are supposed to celebrate every year are talked about. And there's one commonality for all of these. And it says this, that, uh, that as people uh, appear at these festivals, they are not to appear or come to these or attend these um, without a gift for the Lord. Now, this is summertime, you know, barbecues, cookouts, right? And uh, how many have been to somebody else's house maybe this year? And, you know, you bring your best whatever. You make uh, amazing baked beans or whatever it is. You bring that with you. you. You bring the drinks or you bring whatever. You come with something. And that is the beautiful thing about worshiping together is we get to come together and we have something to bring to the Lord together. Something about doing that together that's unique. And so as we worship in our giving today, uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to bring something, to not just be spectators and people that just kind of watch what you're doing, but we get to actively participate and we get to be givers just like you are. I pray you would bless this moment, this time in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Consider all the worlds that 
Hey, well, we've got a full bulletin today. It is packed and with all kinds of incredible things going on. Um, book bags needed. Uh, Joy, could you raise your hand? Wave, wave to the people. Okay. Uh, so we need book bags. And the good thing is you can go get a book bag. There's some place you can go to Marshall's, you can go to TJ Maxx, you can go to Walmart, you can go to you, all kinds of places you can go. But by September 3rd, if you can have the book bags, book bags, bring them here. And uh, we need them by that date so they can be given to uh, kindergarten, first and second graders. That would be a tremendous help. Uh, the Rocky Challenge. Uh, let me ask you a question. If you're here, and if a student came up to you and said, would you sponsor me for the Rocky Challenge? $10, 20 30 whatever. Would, would, if you have not been asked yet, would you, if, if, if you're here and you're like, I, I'd, give, I'd give a kid 10 20 30 bucks. Is that, just raise your hand. Maybe you haven't been asked yet. Hands all over the room. Hands all over the room. Yes. Students. These folks, attack them when you leave, when, when we're done. I mean, pounce on them, right? And uh, we want to be, uh, be able to continue to raise money for Speed the Light. I appreciate you being willing to, um, uh, to do that. So students may be approaching, but that's coming up on the 19th of, of uh, August. So we also have uh, a, a Bible study, a new Wednesday night study coming up on September 6th, the Song of Songs. And I can guarantee you, other than here, possibly, you've never had a Bible study in the Song of Songs. You don't want to miss that. Again, that's coming up in the month of September. We're continuing to finish up our Wednesday night study, Compassion Without Compromise, by Dr. Linda Seiler, which has been an incredible study. Um, but again, this new study will be coming up in September. Also coming up is our new members class. Make note of that date, Saturday, August the 26th. Um, in meeting room 107, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. It's two hours. It'll be super helpful. If you're interested in being a part of the ministries of Praise Assembly, this is an opportunity you have to be able to, um, to, be able to, to attend this class. And also we have upcoming events for Rangers on the 23rd, Wednesday night, 23rd, the ward ceremony, girls' ministries the 30th, and on September 17th is our annual Praise Assembly 38th anniversary celebration and cookout. You do not want to miss that day. Again, all the announcements are in here. Please uh, take advantage of all those opportunities. I was just debating whether I should make a grand entrance like Pastor Brandon did last week. I wasn't going to mention it. I don't know where that came from. I really wasn't going to even mention it. I wasn't even going to talk about it. I wasn't going to keep talking about it like I am now either, but I <laughs> that was really cool, though. That's, Pastor, uh, Pastor Hans thought it was something that was planned. <clears throat> and if you're here last week, you know it wasn't. So, <laughs> But Pastor Brandon has become a better planner. So, Anyways, hey, uh, you know, I love that plug for Speed the Light. Pastor Hans, that was excellent uh, to have the you know, youth look around and see who would be willing to donate. We are, besides being a church, we are a missions. The Assemblies of God in particular is a missions organization. And uh, just about the largest in the world doing all kinds of things. And so I want to say thank you for your support of Speed the Light through the youth department here at Praise. And also thank you last month for your giving for Convoy of Hope for the nation of Ukraine. $6,500 came in to help us help Convoy help refugees around Ukraine, as well as getting food supplies and other needed items into the country as well. So thank you so much for your generosity.
And then also on your way in today, I don't know if you got a Worldview magazine. If you did not get one, you need to get this month's. It features Cambodia. And I've been there. Many of you have met Darth Lee. I don't know how many remember him. It's been a number of years since he's been here. Uh, but he was one of the, he was a young boy when he was put into a concentration camp by the Khmer Rouge. There were 2,000 boys in that camp. Every day they would murder a couple in front of the other boys. Eventually got down to about 200 boys. The Vietnamese came into Cambodia, set them free. And then he began a 200-mile trek with a couple hundred boys. And by the time they got to freedom in Vietnam, uh, there were about 20 left. Very, very sad story. But God is doing some incredible things in Cambodia with leaders like Darth Lee. And, and I will tell you this, um, you know, it's been many, many years since he was in that camp and set free. But he still wakes up with PTSD, just sweating and just, ter- you know, just horrible nightmares. Um, and so pray for Darth, if you remember him at all. Darth Lee, he's one of our missionaries there, Cambodian born, but was able to go back to his home country, something he really didn't want to do. But God has led him to there. And he's been ministering many years now. Um, he's, you know, he's just, just doing great things with various orphanages in Siem Reap, in Phnom Penh. I've been to the killing fields in Phnom Penh. Uh, and it's even to this day, you see bones literally sticking out of the grounds. Uh, sticking out of the ground. Uh, but again, God is doing great things. He's doing great things. In just 30 years, the Assembly of God Church in Cambodia has grown from 150 churches to over 4,000 churches. And so God is moving. We've got a great Bible college campus there. The locals are being trained. Nationals are being trained to do their work. So what was a horrible, horrible event in the history of humankind, Pol Pot murdered one-third of his own Cambodian people. One-third. One person out of every three exterminated. And for no reason at all. That's satanic. That is satanic. That's beyond just the cruelty of human human minds. That's, that's satanic. But God is doing a great thing in Cambodia. So again, I, I, don't, mean, I don't usually push these that much. You got to get a copy of this and read the articles. Uh, also, I remember visiting the floating villages that are there. Um, these were established during Pol Pot where whole communities were moved out of cities and they literally built homes that are on barges and they float around this, uh, this lake, uh, huge lake. And we have an incredible uh, Christian school floating right there with them. And you'll see pictures of that inside the magazine as well. Anyways, to today's message. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13 today. And once again, we're going to continue our theme entitled, Jesus Said. And this morning, we're going to look at various sayings that he made concerning the kingdom of God. And and by the way, if you remember when I first started this a couple months ago, um, I mentioned how this The kingdom of God was the thing that Jesus spoke about the most. Second was faith and salvation. And thirdly was hell. And then money comes down below that somewhere. But Jesus was very direct whenever he spoke about the kingdom of God. And he would say this. He would just use six words. And then he'd expound. He would say, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And then he'd he'd describe it very, very directly. And this is what we're going to look at today. And one of the best places, easiest places to see this is in Matthew's gospel, the 13th chapter, because this one chapter contains a number, it contains several incidents where Jesus directly speaks of the kingdom of God, one illustration right after another. So we've got them all together in one chapter. 
Five times in a row, he tells the people what the kingdom of God is like. And as we read this chapter, though, I want you to know you're going to see Matthew. When Matthew refers to the kingdom of God, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Very simply, because Matthew is writing to Jewish people. And the, the, the name of God is simply too sacred even to be spoken. And so you won't see kingdom of God in Matthew. You'll see kingdom of heaven. But when you see kingdom of heaven, I want you to think kingdom of God. I want you to think kingdom. I, really, it's referring to, a, to, to primarily a here and now kingdom. And believe it or not, the church, you and I, the church worldwide is to some degree a taste a foretaste of the kingdom to come. So let's take a look, and we're going to read these one at a time. Matthew 13, beginning of verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked, us, asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, you know, at first glance, this parable can seem a little odd. I mean, you're probably wondering, what, what's, what, how is this even important to me, to your Christian life? But Jesus, as he so often did, is using agricultural terminology here. And he's doing this because the people to whom he's speaking would understand this. Now, maybe not so much for us, but they would clearly understand what he was talking about. This is their language. And we're told that a farmer is planting good seed, an enemy mixes in bad seed, and of course the servants want to get out there and weed. I know some of you are like me, you, you, don't, you, know, you want to get out there and keep that garden looking really good. And I'm thinking primarily flowers and ornamentals, that sort of thing. Not, I don't have a, a fruit garden or a veggie garden or anything like that, but, but his, his servants want to get out there and they want to weed. They want, to, they want just the good seed to prosper, but the farmer says, hold off. And we'll wait till harvest time. It'll be easier for the good to be separated from the bad. And here's, here's, here's what Jesus is describing for them. This is why he's telling them this story. He's talking about his kingdom on this earth. Jesus is speaking about the church. Or any group of followers for that matter. It doesn't have to be a formal church. Just a, a group of believers maybe meeting together. And he's telling them in that any group that might look like the church, there are some seed that are pure in their intent. It's good seed. And then there's also some seed that's not pure in their intent. And although Jesus doesn't go into great detail, he actually does do us a great service and that we can apply the concept of bad seed to anyone inside the church walls who would actually work to thwart the purpose of the church. That's the bad seed. And this actually does happen in the New Testament as the church is first birthed and then begins to spread through the world of its day. The early church had outside opposition. We know they had outside persecution. 
But you know what they also had? They also had people on the inside who were working against the church. They also had problems from within. I mentioned this several weeks ago in my first message, very first message on this series, how Paul mentioned Demas turning against the church. He actually, he actually names a person who is working to sabotage the church. And he also named Nicholas of Antioch, who is one of the first deacons, by the way, who also began to work against the church with false doctrine. And then the Apostle Paul, he even predicted how enemies would come into the church. Come into the church, not just outside. Come into the church and attempt to harm the church. In Acts 20, verse 29, Paul said it very succinctly. He said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Can you imagine? Paul predicted that to those people. He said, when I'm, when I'm gone, the enemy's going to come in. And folks, I've seen it over, over my 45 years of pastoral ministry. There have been people that I've had to put out of each church that I've pastored, including this one. I don't mean to chuckle about it, but it's, it just sounds horrible. It, it, it shouldn't even be a pastor's job, but it is. Because that's what a shepherd does, is keep the wolves out. Amen? In one church, I had an individual who was causing some of the people to doubt their salvation. Doing it very, in a very clandestine method. I finally got wind of this. I mean, were, I mean these are people who, who we prayed with to receive Christ. And he's got them. And I'm telling you, if the guy were here today, it would be all hugs and kisses. You'd love him. You'd love this guy. And behind my back, he was going to them and making them doubt their salvation. And so finally I had to confront him. I came face to face with someone who I realized was demon-possessed. And he admitted that he was trying to destroy the church that I was starting. He actually admitted it to my face. In another church, I had a person who was creating dissension by spreading gossip about people. I pastored one church where I was having to confront sexual sin over and over and over again. I, I, I just, you know... Adultery after adultery after adultery is bizarre. And I want you to know that for the most part, very few people in this church and the other two that I pastored, very few people even knew that anything had taken place. Because I waited for the precise moment to confront and correct and then in some cases remove that bad seed. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't want to get you down on the church this morning, but I do want you to know that the church is not yet perfect. That was just a test. I didn't hear, I heard some giggles, but no amens. The church is not yet perfect. Someday it will be. But until then, the kingdom of God in this earth will have bad seed as well as good seed. Listen to Ephesians 5.25. This describes the perfect church that is yet to be. It's so encouraging. It's, and it's talking about husbands and wives. And it's, it's serving as, uh, as an illustration. But just, just listen to this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the future church. And until that time, when the church is fully sanctified and perfectly holy, please know that I am going to faithfully discharge my duties as a pastor, as a shepherd, and I'm going to keep an eye out for any wolves that might try to get into this fold. 
And I also want you to trust me. As, as I carry that, trust me. In the event that you should ever see me chasing someone out of this building who may look like a sheep, and by the way, it probably isn't going to happen on a Sunday morning, but they might look like a sheep, but it actually might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. So I'm telling you, the church has always had to battle against being infiltrated by false followers. And you know, even some churches have false pastors. Doesn't that sound strange? False pastors. But I, I thought about this, I, and, and actually I'll give you some biblical backing in a moment. If there can be false prophets, Bible talks about false prophets, right? It talks about false teachers. It talks about false apostles. What's left? <laughs> if there can be false apostles and prophets and teachers, I think there can also be false pastors. And actually, the Bible speaks to them as well. And I'm going to give you proof here. This is Old Testament and New. The Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, 1, says, Woe to the shepherds, that's the pastor, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Now, I'm not reading the whole chapter, but you get it. You get the context just from that one verse. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Pasture. And then in the New Testament, in Jude chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. So we see a reference in the Old Testament to shepherds or pastors, and we see it in the New Testament as well. So the church is not perfect, not yet. And that's okay because it's up to the master to judge which is which. And he says he's going to do it at the harvest. He's going to separate out the bad seed at the harvest. Not yet, but at, at, at the harvest. And I also want you to look at the word that, the word was enemy. We read it in, in English as we read it together. It was, it's a very interesting word. Talks about this, this, this one that comes in, this enemy that comes in and sows the bad seed. In the original language, the Greek New Testament, it is ekthros, which doesn't, it really doesn't just translate as simply the word enemy as we read it as a much deeper, much deeper meaning than, than one single word can, 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 can define for us. It actually is meant to describe an adversary who is openly hostile. I mean, the definition of this word is incredible. It's an adversary who's openly hostile and is filled with deep-seated hatred. Now, guess who that would be? That'd be Satan, wouldn't it? That's a reference to Satan. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. Just as Paul said, when I leave, Satan's going to send in savage wolves. And lately I've been thinking about everything that Satan's been hurling against the church and our culture and our society at large. Man, I'll tell you, these are, these are really weird times. I mean, I, I've been around for, you know, a few decades I won't define that. Huh? No, really. I mean, I, I mean you, you think about the craziness of the 60s and you think, it's like, I mean, we're living in strange, strange times. And Satan just keeps hurling stuff at, not, not just the church, but at culture, at society. And, and society doesn't know what to do except accept. We just have to accept it. We know better. We know better because we have this thing called the Word of God which is truth. 
We don't have to accept everything else. We just have to believe and accept the truth. And you know, over the, over the millennia, Satan has per- tried to pervert anything that's good, hasn't he? Everything, everything he does. He, he takes what God has deemed good and he tries to pervert it. And lately, not lately, maybe, maybe two decades already, but he stole our rainbow. Genesis 9-11, listen to this. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And of course, you know, a while back, the alphabet terrorists took it as their symbol. Can we have some? There you go. There's the difference. And if you don't notice the difference, our rainbow, traditional rainbow over the last hundred years, if not thousands of years, has seven colors in it. God's rainbow has seven colors in it. Satan's rainbow has six. Seven is the number of perfection. How many knew that in the Bible? Three is the number of the, of the Trinity. Seven is the number of perfection. And you know, six is the number of imperfection. Six is the number of man. The Antichrist number is 666. According to God's word, marriage is between one man and one woman. And again, Satan has deluded common culture to believe that any two individuals can be married. But the truth is, God's truth is that male and male and female and female cannot possibly be a marriage. It's sexual sin. It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament. We've been looking at this with Dr. Linda Seiler on Wednesday nights in our Bible study. It's sexual sin. One man and one woman is the only sanctioned and ordained marital and sexual relationship with God's approval. That's it. And of course, the whole transsexual issue is nothing but confusion. Again, we were talking on that on Wednesday nights. And, and, and guess who is the author of confusion? God isn't, right? 1 Corinthians 14, says that God is not the author of confusion. So we know God is not. He's truth. And again, Satan has always provided a substitute. Satan is in the business of providing fraudulent replicas. I don't know if any of you have ever been tempted to buy one of those Rolexes. R-O-L-L-E-X. Okay. They're really cheap. Like, I mean, back in the day, they were like, back in the 70s, they were like 10 bucks. Anybody, anybody on a street corner in New York City, 10 bucks, you can have a Rolex. Just isn't spelt the same. And it'll work until you get on the subway. <laughs> really, who wants a replica? We want the real thing. Amen. We want the real thing. Jesus is the real deal. Satan provides perversions of what's real and eternal and godly. So let's look at the next parable. Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a mustard seed, 
which a man took, planted in his field. Again, Jesus is using agricultural analogy here. Took it, planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in his branches. Now, I love the placement of this parable in this chapter because this simile gives us hope as the church. I mean, this is a positive statement meant to bring us some encouragement. Okay, you know, we just looked at an instance where, where the enemy plants bad seed among the good seed. This is all positive. I mean, see, it, because what he's saying here is that sometimes we really do feel small. Don't you feel like you're in the minority sometimes as a Christian? I mean, I do. I you know, feel in, insignificant. You know, the world doesn't want to listen to us. I feel ineffective in the world that we live in. But here Jesus tells us specifically that we're just like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is just like a mustard seed, smallest of all seeds. And yet over time, we become the largest of plants. Eventually, we become the size of a tree. And I want you to think of this historically, okay? Because it all began, the church began with just 12 disciples, right? 12 disciples. Then Jesus lost one. They're down to 11. Then they're back to 12. Then there's 120 in an upper room. And then in one day, there's 3,000. And it says daily people were added to the church. Thousands were added regularly until today. About a third of our planet is Bible-believing Christians, evangelical believers. A lot has happened in 2,000 years. And I want you to know, of all the religions in the world, no other religious or spiritual group has seen that kind of growth. So we have everything to be hopeful about. And I love how he mentions the birds finding a place to perch in our branches. You know when, you know when birds perch? This is really profound. When they're tired of flapping their wings. <laughs> I hope that's accurate. Somebody Google it. <laughs> no, really. Why? I mean, the glory of flight that bird isn't going to stop until they have to. They're always foraging for food. They're always looking for something. They're trying to stay safe. And I love how he mentions that we become a place where the birds can perch. And what that tells me is the church always has been, always will be a place for weary souls. The church is where people who have been beat up by the world can find peace and rest and eventually growth. Amen? Amen? Really, you get into a church, it shouldn't, it shouldn't you know, I mean, it's one thing. If, you need, if, if you've got a problem, if you've been beat up, you need to be hospitalized. You need, but once you get healthy, you need to start focusing on growing, right? You don't want to be a patient for life. You don't want to be in a hospital bed forever. And again, no bird, though a bird may take a break and perch on a branch, they don't sit there all day. Again, they've got to go out and forage. They've got to go out and, and grow. And then look at the next verse. It proclaims how we, the church, God's earthly kingdom, can't help but have influence. And look at this verse. This is Matthew 13, verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Just one, one little verse, very matter of fact. A woman takes a little yeast, almost imperceptible to the human eye, given time, that little bit of yeast will work through 60 pounds of flour. It infiltrates every single nook and cranny of that dough. And the dough can't resist it. It rises, it becomes leavened, 
And you see the noticeable difference? And really, there's no need for me to elaborate upon that verse. I mean, I think it's very clear. Except again, it is meant to be encouragement to us. That the church will continue to spread just like that little bit of yeast. Just like that little mustard seed. The church is going to continue to have influence. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said it himself. And I preached on this not long ago. uh, You know, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never, never prevail against it. We win. Reading a little further, Matthew 13, verse 34. This isn't Jesus speaking right here, but it's recorded for us. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, I really like, I really appreciate this little interlude, just a little brief interlude where we don't hear Jesus speak, but someone is narrating for us. Again, verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables and he did it using parables so that everyone would understand. That's what he's saying here. I will open my mouth in parables. I'll utter things that were once hidden since creation. And what I love about these two verses is they clearly state the reason that Jesus spoke to the people in parables. In our day and age, we, you know, we read these. They're agricultural, so we don't always get them. We don't understand them. And parables can seem mystical, like mystical stories to us. But please understand this. Parables are meant to be simple. They're meant to be clear and easily understood. Please understand that. So the parables that we just read, those we're about to read, are meant to clearly describe attributes of the kingdom of God. And I I, I mentioned them very, very simply to you. Again, that there can be bad seed scattered with the good seed. God will handle that in the end. We might feel like we have very little influence. We might feel like we're just a mustard seed or we're just a little bit of yeast. But over time, over time, we're going to have influence. We're going to be more and more effective over time. And now looking at verse 44, looking at a couple more parables to come. I'm going to combine the next two into one because of their common theme. But Matthew 13, verse 44, look at this one. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. He wasn't going to just steal that treasure. But instead, he goes home, he sells everything. And then buys the field, and then that treasure is legally his. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of incredible value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. And so I hope you can see here how Jesus is expressing the great value of the kingdom of God. I mean, in both instances, a man finds something of great value, decides that he's better off if he sells everything that he already owns in order to get something that is of even more value. I mean, that's very simple, right? Wouldn't you? I would do that. And it's wonderfully allegorical, but I want you to know that this is real. The night that I gave my life to Christ... Prayed and invited him into my life. You know what I I gave him? You know what I gave him? I gave him a pile of junk. Really. I had very little. There wasn't anything good to offer him. But he took it. I gave him a bunch of worthlessness. And exchanged it for eternal life. And even abundant life. And John chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that Jesus came to bring us life and life abundant. Amen. 
And the Apostle Paul understood this. Look at how he phrased it. This is, this, is, this is my life. This is probably most of your lives. Philippians 3.8, Paul said, What is more, I consider everything that I have a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And you know, it's amazing to me how our job, you know, is to tell others about Jesus, right? We're supposed to tell people that they're, that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that, but we're supposed to tell them they're sinners. They need a Savior. God provided the Savior. They need the good news of the gospel. They need to know that Jesus came, died for their sins, rose from the dead so they can live forever, and that God really wants to spend eternity with them in heaven. He wants them there. God's desire is that none would perish, 2 Peter. He wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And we're supposed to share that, we're supposed to share that message with those who don't yet know him. And so even, you know, we don't always do it as often as we should, but let's say we do offer salvation to someone who isn't saved. And many times, you know, they refuse it. They're not interested. Why do they pass it up? Why do they pass up so good an offer? Because they don't want to give up what they have. It's amazing over the years when you, when you tell somebody, you, know, you need to ask Jesus in your heart, and they're like, well, what, what do I have to give up? Do I have to quit this? Do I have to quit this? Do I have to? And you can't look at it that way. They're always concerned about what they're going to give up. And you're not going to be able to convince them that what they have is worthless. They have to accept him first. Then they gain the perspective that they need. And those of us, you know, look at your own life. You know, you know that whatever you've given up, you thought, you once thought was valuable. And you have now learned that it's nothing more than junk. Amen. Matthew 13, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like, it's like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, 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 they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, I want you to look at verse 51 if you can in your Bibles, your iPads, Bible apps. Jesus asked them, have you understood all these things? And they responded in the affirmative. Because you see, he had spoken to them in parables. Parables are easy to understand. They did understand him. And then in these last, in this list of these five parables, this last one, he says, you and I have been called to be fishers of men. That's what Jesus told his disciples when he first called them. You're no longer going to be fishers of fish. You're going to be fishers of men. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 4, 18. It says, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Jesus, in verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So again, in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. They caught all kinds of fish. You and I are supposed to be that net. 
We are that taste. As I said in the beginning of this message, we're the taste. We're the foretaste of the kingdom of God. The church is the foretaste of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be that net. And what it means to me, they weren't fishing with a hook and a lure. They were fishing with a net, which meant they caught all kinds of fish, which means we're supposed to catch all kinds of people. Instead of, and this is what we do sometimes, instead of prejudging who we think might be more open to the gospel. I've done it. I'm personal experience. I know. I know we tend to do this because I've done it. I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting down with someone who doesn't know the Lord or I'm with somebody and I'm trying to, I'm trying to feel them out. I'm trying to check them out. Are they going to be open? How far do I go with this? Nowhere are we told to do that. Nowhere in the gospels are we told to do a pre-evaluation of the potential of someone getting saved. Isn't that amazing? But we do it. We do it all the time. And, and I love the analogy here again. These fishermen in Jesus' day didn't fish with a rod and a reel. They fished with a net. All we are supposed to do, folks, is throw the net out. I know I, know I got overlooked when I was in high school by Christian classmates. They kept their distance. Really, I don't remember anyone in my high school days as a teenage alcoholic coming up to me and telling me that Jesus was the answer. They probably just figured I wouldn't be interested or maybe that I'd probably ridicule them for trying to witness to me. And then, you know what? Even after I did get saved, former high school classmate, we bumped into each other at this large stadium event I, I didn't know he was a Christian. I knew he was a goody two-shoes. He, you know, he was a good guy. He was a good guy, really squeaky clean. But I didn't know he was a Christian because he never told me he was a Christian. And I didn't, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm American, so I'm a Christian. But I didn't know he was born again. So we bump in at this stadium event. And he jokes. He, he couldn't believe that I was a pastor. He couldn't believe I got saved. And actually, not to be too cruel, but he, you know, in his, he's like, he read my name tag and it said, Reverend Michael Petrucci. And he goes, Reverend, <laughs> you know, laugh it. And, and I, you know, I wanted to be kind, but I said, no thanks to you. I can't take that back. It's been 40 years. But you get my point, right? No, we need to throw that net out there. He had a prejudice against telling me and we did cross paths. I mean, I knew that I spotted this guy from, a, you know, we, we knew each, we saw each other in high school. I didn't know him as a person, but I, he could, he could have somehow, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to put, anyways, I got saved. So that's the good part. But you know what? That also happened in scripture. It's not abnormal. I don't want you going out here feeling all kinds of guilt, but we do need to tell people we need to be the net. But it did happen in Scripture. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, you've got to look at this. It says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Okay, Christian, follower of Christ. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, here I am, Lord, he answered. Get up, the Lord told him. I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias, you. He's seen him come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. But Ananias answers, Lord, 
Are you aware that this Saul of Tarsus arrests Christians and has them killed? I mean, that's, that's not really what it says, but that's what it means. He says, Lord, many people have told me about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I identify with Ananias. I'd be arguing with God too. Are you, are you out of your mind? This guy kills Christians and you're sending him to me? Verse 15, go, said the Lord, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, that, that helps. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. Thank you. I will definitely look for Saul. So Ananias went to his house, and when he arrived, he placed his hands on Saul. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at that instant... Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and his sight was restored. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength and he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I get, I understand Ananias' reluctance. He had a hard time believing Saul could be saved. But what we need to remember again is we're the net. We're the net. We're the net. All kinds of fish. There's an old axiom we used to use that circulated about witnessing, you know, back in the day. And it, it kind of follows the theme of, of nets and fishing. Our job, we catch them. He cleans them. It's that simple. We don't have to get people ready for church. We don't have to get them ready for God. We just need to pray with them, have them receive Christ as their Savior, and let His Holy Spirit do the work in them that He's already done in you. That's how it works. Amen. And there's an old hymn we used to sing. Just as I am without one plea. Jesus wants us to come to him right where we are. Just as we are. Amen? You don't have to get good enough for God. Well, let me close. Jesus is going to return. That promise is in his word. Sooner than we expect, by the way. And based upon what we read today, I think it's clear that in these last days, we need to be about his business as we prepare for his return. The kingdom of God is closer than we imagine. And although we, the church, we're not perfect, we're not spotless. You know, that ought to be a testimony to those who we're trying to witness to. They don't have to be perfect to be in relationship with God. Because we're not perfect. We're forgiven, but not perfect. And I just want to urge you to go fishing for souls. To urge people to give up the junk that they have to gain what's of true and lasting value. A treasure that God has for them. I love being a Christian, don't you? I really, really, I mean, I, I, have no, I wouldn't probably be alive today if he hadn't come into my heart at that moment in my history. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for all that you've done in my life. And I know for, for every one of us, you, you, you've moved in our lives. It's enough that you called us to follow you. Just like those first fishermen that became your disciples. You told them, just put down your nets. Stop fishing for fish. I want you to fish for men. And immediately they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And Lord, we've done that. We've come after you. 
But now, Lord, I pray that we'd pick up our nets and we'd be willing to cast it out, to talk to anyone at any time about you. Lord, I pray that you would provide those opportunities, Lord. I, I pray that we'd be aware of those opportunities when they come. Lord, we don't have to be obnoxious as we present the gospel, but Lord, we have to be ready. And I pray that we'd be alert, that we'd realize that we live in such a broken and fallen world. We live in a world that needs the branches of the mustard tree. We live in a world where, yeah, there's going to be some bad seed and some good seed mingled together. There's going to be a future harvest. Your word declares that. And until that time, though, we need to be about our Father's business. Lord, I pray, God, that we would that we'd really hear this message today. And come tomorrow morning, that we'd find ourselves in an opportunity where we can throw out our net. And someone we know who doesn't know you would be born again. For every one of us, for students, for those that are employed, for those that are retired, Lord, that we'd reach neighbors and friends and family, coworkers, schoolmates. Lord, we just cast out that net as far as it'll go to catch all kinds of fish. And we ask for your help because we need the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to do that. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. At this time, Pastor Brandon is going to come and lead us in celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. Amen. You can go ahead and prepare. We're always asked daily to remember things. Are we not? How many have kids that forget things and they need to be reminded of things? How many have a spouse that needs to be reminded? Okay, we'll stop right there. Some of these things are insignificant. Some of them are very significant. You misplace your keys. Where did I put my keys? You're trying to remember where you put this thing, this letter that you had to get out. Where did I put that? May not seem all that difficult. Remembering to take your pills in the morning, that would be one that you better remember, right? Once a year, we have birthdays and anniversaries. You better not forget those. You get once a year, I mean, the more you have in your household, the more you have to remember, but you better not forget your anniversary. Some of you have graduated to having a whiteboard in your home or a chalkboard in your home where things are written down for the day, for the week, what's for dinner, all of these things, because we tend to forget Uh, Historically and in life, in, in, in our world, we have monuments, we have memorials, we have gravestones. These things are all reminders to us to remember, okay? And in the Bible, we read in Joshua where... Uh, God dried up the Jordan River, and they placed 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. And it was so that they could point to them, to the generation to come, and remind them what God had done. We need reminders. Because if you're like me, I do forget. Amen? This morning, as we look to the emblems, they are exactly that. I know that there are churches today that would tell you that as we eat this and we drink this, that this becomes the flesh of God. It does not, of Jesus. It does not. They are mere emblems of a greater thing. This cross we have here today is a reminder 
to us of what Jesus has done. Matthew 26, 26 says this. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces saying, and gave it to them and saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. The reminder is, God could have simply declared his love for his people. He could have shouted it from heaven. He could have written it across the sky. How many of you have been in Florida usually where you see in this plane and you think, is he going to spell it? And there it is, Jesus in the sky. He could have done that, but he chose to come in flesh because that's how much he wanted to show us he loved us. His word tells us, we know it in our hearts, he showed us through his flesh. So as we partake today of this bread, we remember how much God loves us that he came in the form of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Verse 27 says, And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink of it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. This cup stands as a representative and a reminder to us of the blood that was poured out for you and for me and for the forgiveness of many. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Stand together. Lord, thank you for the reminders that we have. Lord, they were never meant to be highlighted. They were never meant to be relics. They are be, to be reminders of what you have done for us, God. And we are so thankful, Lord, that we stand blessed that you would, even in our sin, choose us and love us. God, when we were sinners, Lord, you still died for us. And Lord, today, for those of us that have recognized you and have accepted you as Savior, Lord, we can't say thank you enough, but we remember and we, we remind ourselves daily, Lord God. When we wake, we thank you for a, a great night, Lord, and all that you've done in the day before, but Lord, already in advance for what you're going to do in the day to come. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the bread, Lord God, that represents your body and blood poured out for us, God. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, may, may we be challenged. Uh, if, if we got nothing else today, Lord God, that we are to be fishers of men and to cast a wide net. God, to touch those and, and be the example, Lord. Let us be the example to those people that we come in contact with that we may not come across as hypocritical. But Lord, we are, we are sinners saved by grace. And Lord, we are now forgiven and let us represent you as, as best we can. Lord, work through us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.